Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. We're going to dive right into, we're in a, in a summer series, summer sermon series. Try to say that fast three times. We're into a summer sermon series, and the series theme is The Crown. Now, Lori and I actually, back a few years ago, began to watch that on, I don't know if it was Netflix or Prime, Time or Prime Video or whatever it was. We began, we were kind of curious about the crown, and uh, I don't know how accurate it was because the British crown and some of that stuff, and it, it made it interesting when I was reading, starting at 1 Samuel, that there were three of the first Israeli or Hebrew successive kings that were the crown, that they tell a story that really needs to be told and retold throughout time. And that's what I am purposing to do this summer in the summer sermon series, the series The Crown, to talk about uh, coming off of our theme. And so I invite you to go to these two passages while I'm talking here. James chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, grab your Bibles, go to James chapter 1. And uh, just hold that in a moment. I'm going to read James chapter 1. And we're also going to go to the Old Testament. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And in the three successive kings, these kings who would follow one another, the first two were no relation to each other. The last two were father-son combination. And we see in the story of the crown... How God has called us to have a crown of life, but you can lose the crown. There are things, and matter of fact, life threatens the crown. Now, we're not talking you being a head of a nation. We're talking about the crown that God has given you, the crown that is yours to wear. That there is so much that threatens the crown, your crown. And we got to be aware of that. Uh, So we're going to look at these three kings because some of them lost the crown. Others got lost, and others carried the crown just amazingly. And there's so much to learn from these. So I trust that that'll be a learning experience. So we're going to begin in James chapter 1. If you have it there, follow with me in verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life. Everyone together, would you say the crown of life? That the Lord has promised to those who love him. Father, I ask that you would help us to understand your word this morning. Help us not to think of others. Help us to allow the light of your Holy Spirit to reveal in our own life what you're trying to show us. And Lord, may we not simply look. May we be doers of your word as you speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to note that part. It's in the midst of trials. Life is filled with trials. It's, it's the testing of our faith. I used to, um, and sometimes still do, you know, trials will come my way and I'll be praying, God, just take that from me. Let this pass from me. Take this cup from me. God, just remove that. Remove the situation. Bring, bring uh, a miracle in the situation. And I don't think that's wrong to pray. But after having prayed, there's an acknowledgement sometimes that sometimes God is doing something in me through that situation. 
I think church is one of the most fulfilling battlefields of God creating a God like you, uh, pe- uh, people who are Jesus-like. Because it's in the context of relationships, especially testy relationships, that he develops character. I mean, if everything goes along perfectly, right, you know, where do you have to develop the fruit? If ever, how do you have to develop gentleness if everything's gentle around you? How do you have to develop patience if everybody is super patient around you? But it's when they're not. It's when they're unkind that you have to develop kindness. It's when there's in the midst of badness, if there's such a word, you have to develop goodness. It's the people around us that will mold us. So, Lord, thank you for the people that you put me with. Thank you for the situations. Now, some of them, they need, you need to pray and God will change the course. And some you need to say, God, help me to see you in the midst of this and to be faithful and to grow, and to get what you're showing me, and he will. And This is really, if we can keep that in mind, I think we can learn a lot from these kings. And So the first king we're looking at is Saul, so we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 15. I hope you have been reading, I've been encouraging, I'm going to do it again this morning. This is only the second of the series, so you're not going to be lost, and if you wonder what the first part was, you can go on to our website, aurorcornerstone.ca, you can go back, it's in podcast form now, and you can go back and you can hear the first part, but we are going to be reading all of 1 Samuel, all of 1 Samuel, there's like 31 chapters, and it's really the story of Saul, King Saul. Now, when you get towards the end of Samuel, you're going to be introduced to a second king in the making. And God prepares this guy. He says, you're going to be king, and then for the next 13, 14 years, he begins to put him through trials to get him ready to be the king. Again, if you're going to wear the crown, you've got to get ready for the crown. The crown, the crown is not an easy thing to wear. It's very hard. And it's not difficult to get the crown put on your head. It's difficult to keep it on, to keep it on your head, to not lose the crown. So how do we do that? We've got this life to get through. So 1 Samuel chapter 15, if you have it, we're going to read. Again, read this in your own time. All of of Samuel, come back. Next week, we're going to be talking again. But we're going to go through a number of chapters. I'm going to largely sit on 15, 16 here today. But... 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 3 verses, let's read it. Samuel said to Saul, Samuel's the prophet, speaking on behalf of God. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you, Saul, king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. Here's a message from God, verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Verse 3. Now go. Attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men, women, children, infants, cattle, sheep, camels, donkey. End of verse 3. Now, if we can get past the, the harshness of this three verses, you know, put to death the whole thing. Often you see in the Old Testament, Old Testament the depths and depravity of utter sin. And if we don't get caught up in the personality battles, we see that it is a picture, it is an example of the destructiveness 
of sin when sin is unconfessed and sin is unacknowledged and it goes rampant. It, it's, it's a poison. It's an infection. It, it infects everything around it. And there's points in times, it's like a gangrene setting in a limb, whether it's your foot or a hand, gangrene setting in. And there comes a point where if you don't amputate it, if you don't do something drastic, it'll kill the entire person. And there's people groups that after centuries of reaching out, they were unredeemed. Such poison, they were affecting everything around them that there would be a ceasing of those particular people group. So that the remnant, there might be good that comes out of it. Unless a seed dies, new life can't come. This was the picture of the Malachites. And so we pick up the story, and I want to focus on verse 3. Saul was told to totally destroy as they would go. And then, of course, there's all kinds of battles in those days. Totally destroy those people group. It's not a complicated verse, verse 3. I think it's as clear as any verse in the Bible. Attack the Amalekites, totally destroy all that belongs to them. And then he even says, you know, put to death everything. Here's the problem. I'm not going to read all these verses. I'm just going to kind of walk through the story. Verse 7 and 8 tells us that indeed Saul did attack them, the Amalekites. But here's where it changes. He doesn't fulfill all that was asked of him. He takes Agag, the king, alive. He wasn't supposed to. He keeps alive the best of everything there because he wants to prosper from it. So in verse 8, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11, you continue down through, through 1 Samuel chapter 15. God tells how grieved he is of Saul. So Samuel, on behalf of God, confronts Saul in verse 13, 14, and 15, asking Saul, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you simply do what God had asked you to do? There's a good question. Why didn't you simply do it? And I want to draw out, here's, here's where we lose the crown of life, where we lose the anointing, the blessings, the plans of God in our life, because Saul's losing it. We need to learn from him three things. How King Saul substituted. Substitutes. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 13, it says, When Samuel reached him, Saul said, Saul said, King Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. First thing I want to talk about is saying rather than doing. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Oh, but, but he hadn't. He, had, he carried out some. But he did not do what God had asked of him. The command was to absolutely destroy everything. Now this... Was not, it's not like, well, he didn't understand the instructions. It's not like that. The instructions, actually, he would have known the plans towards the Amalekites long before the instruction even had been given. Because you could go back. The Amalekites were an old, old enemy of the Jews. We know if you go back to Exodus chapter 17. If you read that chapter, you will see that with the Lord's help, Moses and Joshua defeated Amalek. Amalek, who 
was the head of the Amalekites, became a group of people group later on, that we see Moses and Joshua defeated Amalek and his people. And then in Exodus 17, 14, then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. It was prophesied. I'm going to blot this name out. They've got to stop. They have to stop. So, way back in Moses and Joshua's time, God had already said that the name would stop. They would have to be blotted out. This was God's decree, and the Amalekites were not going to survive. So, when God spoke this to Saul, this was not a surprise, yet Saul chose to lie about it. Saul was substituting, saying, for doing. Here's the point. Talk is easy. Action's not. There's a lot of talk. A lot of good intentions. A lot of saying one thing, but not doing it. And we live in a time where that is rampant. I mean, right from the top down, from prime minister to top-end politicians, saying one thing, doing something different, not following through. Saying, substituting for doing. Beware of substituting doing. There is no substitute for your actions. Three times in the New Testament in 1 John chapter 1, the Apostle John referred to saying one thing and doing another. If you were to go to 1 John 1, 6, it says, If we claim to have fellowship with God and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Note that. If we claim one thing but do something else, we're liars. Then just down verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, there's a claim again, we say I don't have sin, we're deceiving ourselves. Then down to verse 10, if we say, claim, we have not sinned again, we make God out to be a liar. Over and over he's saying, claiming one thing, saying one thing and doing something different. Saying, doing, saying, doing. They're not the same, we know that. But beware, because the crown gets lost in this place. The gap between those two is where it's lost. Saying, but not being, doing, following through. If this is not brought under the cross of Christ, this deception deteriorates our very character and our spiritual life is nothing but a bunch of words. I was reading this past week and where I've been feeding in in the Bible recently has been in Ezekiel. I'm going to invite you, this is not on notes here, I'm just kind of stepping off here for a second. If you have your Bibles, I want to show you something, Ezekiel chapter 33. Would you go there with me? Because this just screamed alive as I was putting this point together of what happened to Saul. This scripture was what I was reading, Ezekiel chapter 33, and you get down to the end of it, verse 31. I shared this this morning with the volunteers when we prayed earlier today. Ezekiel 33, if you have that, Ezekiel 33, verse 31, God says, my people come to you, to you being the man of God or the place of worship to God, my people come to you as they usually do and sit before you to hear your words, but they do not put them into practice. Their mouths speak of love, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed, To them, you are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice. 
and plays an instrument well. For they hear your words, but do not put them into practice. Now, I've been teaching our youth to do this. When you come upon some scriptures that speak loud, underline it and mark it. So you never forget it. Mine is underlined over and over in this passage. People sit before you to hear your words, but don't put them into practice. Remember a minister who I sat under, and he was a professor at the Bible College, and I asked him one time, what's the, after years of serving as a pastor, because I was just starting out, what's the biggest thing that grieves you as a pastor? He says, the biggest thing that grieves me is people that sit for years and years under my ministry and never change. I was starting out, and he was somewhat finishing his journey. He says, that's the number one thing that grieves me, is an unchanged life. Who here and here and here have every opportunity but never go changed, never transformed into the image of Christ. They hear your words but do not put them into practice. Their mouths, note that part, speak of love. They love to sing the songs. Daniel, they love to sing the songs. They love the songs. It even says they... They, nothing, they listen to you sing love songs. And they acknowledge you have a beautiful voice. And they love your instrument playing because you play really good. But they do nothing. Isn't that sad? I find it's one of the saddest little sections of Scripture right there. But it's also a, it's, it's, it's a bit of a rebuke. Oh God, help us not to simply be people who say something and don't follow through with my actions. I want to put first thing before you, you will lose your crown. You will lose your crown if you start to substitute saying you've got good intentions, but your life isn't being transformed. Talk to somebody. If you don't know if you fall into this category, talk to somebody who knows you well, who's a follower of Jesus, and ask them if that might be taking place in some areas of your life. Sometimes we are too close to the tree. We can't see the forest. We need someone to, someone to speak in lovingly and encourage them, is there some things that you're seeing in my life that I might not be seeing right now? Or even just before the Lord. Lord, show me. Examine my heart. Show me. Bring back to my mind. Am I saying and not doing? That's the first thing that Saul was doing. He was not being honest with himself. The second thing I want to draw your attention to, we go down to verse 15. Saul tries to excuse his disobedience by making an excuse. He conveniently, conveniently blames other people for what took place. We pick it up in verse 15. Let's read it. Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep, the cattle, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Okay, the second thing, saying for doing. Here's the second substitute. If you're going to lose your crown, excuses rather than confession. When God reveals something in your heart, even this morning, but other times when he reveals it, your first response, my first response, needs to be, God, forgive me. I have sinned against you. Not, oh, but God, here's the reason why I didn't do it. Why is it excuses are so quick to fall from our lives? To excuse why we did what we did. Maybe it's because, again, the society encourages that. 
Always an excuse. You try to show something, excuse. You try to show something, excuse. You try to show, excuse, excuse, excuse. You can't get anywhere. Proverbs calls them a fool. A fool doesn't listen. A fool constantly deflects it to something else. You prone to do that? Is there a tendency to deflect? You don't like to take the responsibility? Somebody's trying to show you something or it's being revealed and you deflect it off. Well, here's the reason I'm like that. It's, and you have stuff. And Saul, this is where we were. Again, watch the substitute. Your crown will be taken. Excuses rather than confessions. Billy Sunday defined an excuse as the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. Hmm. Beware of people who always have an excuse. An excuse is the refusal to be honest and to accept responsibility for your actions. Saul should have confessed his sin honestly right then and there. That was his moment. The reason Samuel called him out on it was so he could confess it. It wasn't to embarrass him. It was so he could confess it. And if you confess your sins, finish it for me. He is Faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all. If you can, but if you don't confess, if you excuse your sins, you don't get forgiveness. You might feel better about yourself at the moment, but there's no forgiveness behind excuses. Saul didn't get forgiveness that day. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces them, praise God, finds mercy. Isn't it true? Often one sin will lead to another, to another. When you first lie, you have to lie now to cover up the lie. And then you have to keep lying. And it gets really complicated after a while. That the truth gets really blurred. Because there's so many half-truths out there. Wouldn't it just be a whole lot simpler just to confess and to get back on track of walking in God's forgiveness. Hmm. Excuses rather than confessions. Let me go to the third one. We go down to verse 30 for this. Saul replied, I have sinned. Well, this looks good. Okay. Verse 30, I have sinned. But, everybody say the word but. Okay. I've said this a hundred times. It's not what's said before the word but, it's what's said after the word but you got to pay attention to. In conversations, listen to the but. Because it's after that is what they're really trying to say. But, there's, the, there's it coming, it's coming now. But, and so, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. Here's the third thing, you lose your crown. You substitute reputation over character. It's about how you look. You want to look good. You want to look acceptable. You want to be honored. Saul was concerned about his reputation with the people. Do you see that there? I've sinned, but honor me before the elders. Don't make a deal of it before the elders. Honor me before the people. Come back with me. Let them see we're tight. Let them see we're okay. Honor me. He wasn't concerned about what God thought of him at that moment. He wasn't concerned that his heart was turning black. He wasn't concerned that the way down 
It's going to be difficult to get back up. He wasn't concerned about that. He just was concerned how you thought about him. How did you think about him? You see that in that text there? I've sinned. Well, that started off good. Those three words are really good words. But, but my reputation. Hold my reputation up. Hold my reputation. We, this isn't the first time we see this in Scripture. Pharaoh, if you go back further into the Old Testament, Pharaoh in Exodus 9 and 10 confessed to Moses the very same thing. He didn't mean it. Balaam in Numbers chapter 22, he used these same words of confession and yet he was a reprobate prophet. Saul said he was sorry, he didn't mean it. He said he was sorry so that he could make face with the people. Beware of doing it before others. You'll lose your crown. Abraham Lincoln once said that reputation and character may be compared to a tree. Character is the tree. Reputation is the shadow cast by the tree. Don't live for the shadow. Live for the tree. In other words, reputation is what men think we are. Character is what God knows we are. D.L. Moody once said, That character is what a person is in the dark when no one's watching. Hmm, that's character. Throughout his official career, Saul's greatest concern was always, what do people think of me? What do people think of me? You get that all the time through. You're going to see that in 1 Samuel, through chapter after chapter. What do people think of me? And if you start living to please people, you are in trouble. Proverbs 29, verse 25 says, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. So the substitutes, saying for doing, excuses instead of confessing. Reputation over your character. Don't allow, beloved, don't allow substitutes in. And they get in. Get them out. I want to contrast two Saul's here of the Bible. First is King Saul. We've been studying him, 1 Samuel. King Saul, and I want to contrast him to Saul of Tarsus. He's the apostle Paul. Saul turned Paul of the New Testament. I want to contrast the two Sauls. Saul of Tarsus was a man of integrity. He was one whose character was to obey God and obey God alone. He, Saul of Tarsus of the New Testament, was concerned more about God's reputation than he couldn't care about his own reputation. When The apostle Paul, that Saul sinned, he quickly confessed it. He practiced what he preached. What a contrast. Saul of the Old Testament would lose his crown. Saul of the New Testament would gain a crown. In 2 Timothy verse 8 of chapter 4, Paul in the New Testament would say, For there is in store for me a crown of righteousness. Saul of the Old Testament was losing his crown. Paul would say, there's in store for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day and not only to me but all who have longed for his appearing. Saul of the Old Testament would lose the crown and the power of the Holy Spirit. Saul of Tarsus of the New Testament would be filled mightily with the Spirit of the living God. Your character is a priceless possession. Don't gamble it. Don't gamble it. Stand for integrity. No person had greater opportunities to succeed than King Saul of 1 Samuel. 
He could have gone from victory to victory, from glory to glory. Instead, he failed because he did not develop integrity. I want to introduce a new character to our story, our series now. I'm going to introduce this character. He's not going to be the primary focus, but he needs to come in because he's going to show the contrast of what happens when you begin to lose your crown. A new character's key in this. The character's name is David. When we get to the middle of Samuel, 1 Samuel, there's a new name starts to come in here, and his name is David. He's just a young lad when he's introduced into our story. We're going to spend quite a few weeks on David because he's coming up. He's number two in the crown series. But this is in the early development of David. Wherever you find someone blessed of God in contact with someone who's abandoned God, you're going to find conflict. Saul, abandoning God. David, blessed of God. Now watch the two collisions take place as God intersects their lives in 1 Samuel. I'm going to create like a three-act play. It's like a three-act play. As you go from chapter 15 to the end of Samuel, it's like three different acts, and I'm going to play them out. It's, it's, you begin to see the failure of Saul through these three acts. Number one, act one, is found in chapter 16 and chapter 17. You see, when David's first introduced, Saul loved David. Then if you continue from chapter 18, 19, 20, you read those chapters, you watch Saul envying David. And then when we get past chapter 20 to 21, right to the end of the entire book, he exiled David, and all he wanted to do was kill him. <laughs> Isn't it true? Some people you love, and then you want to kill him. I, mean, I think we've said that about our kids once or twice. I just love them, and then there's other times, I just want to kill them. Now, you don't really mean it, hopefully, but beware when love turns to murder. And Saul, we see this in the early act, act chapter 1. Saul loved David. We see it in, verse, in chapter 16, chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. Let me just read a couple of verses. 1 Samuel 16, verse 21. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much. And David became one of his armor bearers. Verse 22. Then Saul sent word to Jesse saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Started off well. It started off really well. Saul really liked David. And he gave David two particular tasks that you just don't give anybody. Number one, David was his armor bearer. An armor bearer to the king is a very important title. You have a place of honor when you serve as the king's armor bearer. And secondly, he was also granted the court musician. Whenever Saul experienced one of his depression modes, David would sing and play and worship and calm the king down. David would travel back and forth from palace to house, palace to house, and he served Saul faithfully, and Saul loved David. That's the first act. Now we get to chapter 18. We see in the second act that Saul envied David, he begins to look with envy. Beware of the enemy of envy. 1 Samuel 18, verse 5. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, note this, David was so successful. It's nice to have successful people around you, but sometimes they can drive you nuts. And if you're not careful, you start to compare your shortfallings to their successes. 
This is what was taking place. It says, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. Down to verse 14, chapter 18, verse 14. In everything David did, he had great success. There it is again, because the Lord was with him. Verse 15, here's a change. When Saul saw how successful he was, he became afraid. David walked in the will of God. He had the anointing of God on him. People around him knew that. People know when God's hand's upon you. Blessing was upon him. People would sing songs about David, his success. He returned from battle. David got the glory. David responded to this praise with humility. You see in the whole of Samuel, David does not respond in a haughty, prideful way. Just in humility, in humility. And Saul responded in fear, anger, and envy. Proverbs 27, 21 says, The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but people are tested by their praise. Praise will test you. Well, praise was given to David, and it just brought out the best in David. You saw his humility while people praised him. But it brought out the worst in Saul. When people praised David, Saul envied David. The next day, it says an evil spirit came upon Saul as David was playing. David was playing to encourage him. David's playing, and an evil spirit came upon Saul. He picked up his spear and tried to kill David, pit him against the wall. David was pretty quick on his feet. He got out of dodge. Then Saul removed David from his position. Remember, he loved him, but now he envies him. He removed him from the court musician. He removed him from the captain of the bodyguard. And he made him captain over a thousand men. And what happened in this is by putting him captain over a thousand men, he, David goes in front of the battlefield. Hopefully he dies in battle. Right? This is what's going on. So David was supposed to marry the daughter of Saul, and Saul instead gave her to someone else, and David was pretty disappointed. But then he sees another daughter. I guess Saul had a whole whack of them. So he sees another beautiful daughter. Remember, Saul was pretty good-looking, so he's probably got good-looking daughters. And he sees another daughter, and so he's interested in the other daughter, and he asks Michael for his wife, and Saul says, yeah, okay, yeah, here's the dowry. I want you to kill 100 Philistines. That's a pretty big dowry. You know, what about 10 cows? But no, 100 Philistines. Now that means David can't send his men to kill the Philistines. David, you, you kill 100 Philistines. Then you can have my daughter. His whole hope was David would be killed in battle. David says, oh, Michael's worth it. He killed 200. Well, he got Michael. And it didn't work for Saul. And you throughout David's life, Saul continued to plot against David. You read of this in the whole last part of Samuel. He's trying to take David's life. Saul even goes up to his son, Jonathan. He says, Jonathan, if you get a chance, take out David. See, Jonathan, I want you on the throne. And David's a threat. David's a, remember, he's envy, 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 envy. Take him out, take him out. Saul tells Jonathan, if you've got some other guys, anytime you get an opportunity, take him down. Well, the only problem was is David and Jonathan were booze and mole buddies. Jonathan's not going to kill his buddy. Jonathan had the integrity his dad ought to have had. Jonathan truly had a crown, although it was not the crown of Israel. He plotted to try to take David out. 
1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 29, Saul became still more afraid of him, and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. How do you go from loving him to hating him? Envy. Envy. He envied him. Saul loved him. He envied him. He tried to kill him. Envy does that to you. Envy puts murder in your heart. When you become jealous, when you become envious, when you begin to look at someone else and compare, beware, 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 the crown is starting to slip. Because there will grow something dark in your heart. It's like a cancer. It eats away at you. You don't want it to maybe, but it does. It keeps you awake at night. It's in your mind when you get up in the morning. You can't shake it. It continues to prowl your life. And when you allow yourself to become jealous of another possessions or their accomplishments, it grows and it will take complete control of your life. It begins to destroy you. David was being used of God. People saw that. Saul was so envious of David and his popularity that to kill David became an obsession. The end of Saul's life was not being a king leading a people. The end of his life was, how am I going to kill this guy? became obsessed with him. How does it go from loving him to obsessing? Beware of jealousy and envy. And so he exiled David. From chapter 21 to chapter 31, David's on the run. He's continually forced to flee from Saul. And all of this brought out the worst in Saul. You see the ugly of Saul in these last 10 chapters. He becomes obsessed with chasing David. He's obsessed with destroying David. Beloved, it's a foolish thing to attempt to come against God's anointed. <laughs> it's a foolish thing to try to lay your hand against David. But that's what he did for years. To keep the crown of life, refuse substitutes. Saying rather than doing. Excuses rather than confession. Reputation rather than character. I just want to freeze frame here for a moment with Saul. How is David doing in all this? And we're going to talk about David a few weeks from now. But how's David doing in all this? Saul's just after him like a madman. David, how are you doing? If we were just to jump in, David, are you okay? How are you doing, David? Like you were, you didn't ask for any of this. You were just a shepherd guy content to look after the sheep. How, how, how are you doing, David? Well, David wrote about this in the Psalms. I'm just going to share a few of them, how David's doing. Psalms 34, David's reflecting as he's running from Saul. Psalms 34, verse 1, verse 6. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. No matter where David was in exile, he praised his God. Psalms 142, Psalms 142, verse 1. Here's David again, running from Saul. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. Psalms 31, verse 1. David again, same situation. In you, Lord, I've taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Psalms 7, verse 1. Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me. David confidently placed his trust in the Lord who would protect him. Saul, on the other hand, was losing his crown. Love can turn hatred to murder. 
when pride begins to poison our heart and envy controls our actions. So I close. Don't fight the wrong enemy. Don't fight the wrong enemy. David's not the enemy. David's not the enemy. No wonder Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 warns us, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from your heart. Guard it, guard it, guard it, guard it. Guard your heart. I want to close with this. Don't substitute saying for doing. Don't substitute excuses for confession. Don't substitute reputation for character and integrity. And watch envy. Stay open and honest and transparent before God. Can we commit that to our lives this morning? I'm going to invite the worship team to come at this time. And as they come, I want to lead in prayer. Can we just believe God for victory? Personal victory. As we need the crown of life not to fall from our hearts and our minds. I'm going to invite you. Would you join me in standing? I would be amiss if we just closed without praying. Can we pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal where we've been saying and not doing, where we've been excusing, and sin has not been dealt with, and where we've been more concerned about what people think than what God thinks? May the most motivating factor in your life and my life be listen to this may the greatest motivation in yours and my life be God what do you think of me if you can make that the greatest motivational factor you're going to be okay not what someone sees of you not what the pastor thinks not what your husband wife not what your workers think not what the people in church think but God what do you think if that becomes your greatest motivational factor, you're going to be okay. Because you will not substitute these things. You will not let envy run rampant in your spirit. If God becomes the greatest motivational factor in your life, oh God, am I okay with you? Are we okay? As the Lord wants to shine his light into your life. He does it not to embarrass you or shame you. When Samuel came before Saul, you got to see it. It wasn't to shame him. It was so that he had opportunity to say, God, I have sinned against you. Forgive me. Turn me from my wicked ways. Oh, Saul, you could have done it, but you didn't. But here we have that opportunity. Let's take that opportunity this morning. So, Father in heaven, I pray right now in Jesus' name. Reveal any of these things. Lord, where have we been substituting? Where have things gotten into our hearts and into our lives? Reveal it. Holy Spirit, we don't want to simply go through the motions. God, we do it for you. God, forgive us. Just go ahead and agree with if, if this is a If there's something there as the Holy Spirit reveals it, be like... Be like David who would constantly say, Lord, search my heart. See if there's any wicked thing hiding. So, Lord, re reveal any wicked thing. Reveal those things. Reveal substitutes, envy, jealousy. Someone that's threatening us. Someone we're fearful of. Someone who's 
taking our position. They're maybe taking the credit for something that's ours to take. Who do they think they are? Maybe it's in relationship with someone. Oh God, reveal it. Reveal hearts here this morning. God, your message will not come back in vain if we can take to heart the things that you have spoken today. Guard your heart, you said. It is the wellspring of life. It is where the crown will rest. God, I pray we would take to heed your word today in our hearts. We would walk out to transform people, not simply hearing, but doing. Oh God, forgive us. We commit our lives to you. Lord, we have to lay some things maybe here at the foot of the altar. Change our hearts, oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.